you are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. In episode 59, I am speaking with a director of development and lawyer. This guest ensures that money is used to create equity in higher education. Based in Columbus, Ohio, today's guest is Jara Oliver. Welcome to the podcast, Jara. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad to have the opportunity. Yeah, I have been watching your career from the sidelines mm-hmm. and I know you from high school. So yes. I was really excited to talk to you and because you're at Ohio State. That's where I went to undergrad. Like you're doing all the cool stuff. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. So Jared, would you share a little bit of your background and your career with the audience? So as you noted, I did go to high school here. We went to the same school district. Yeah. And I'm mentioning this because it relates to my ultimate choice to go into philanthropy and higher education and even law school, really. So when I was graduating from high school, you know, I, I had a great life in terms of like, even though my father didn't graduate from high school, my mother, she had some college, but she did not have a college degree. I had excellent supports and obviously in Upward Bound, you have a lot of guidance, but I still dealt with stuff as first gen, right? Yeah. But it did not present as first gen problems until nearing graduation, right? Okay. And that's when I started seeing like differences in like, okay, wait, I have the same GPA as that person in the suburban school or that person in the private school, but them getting the Columbia was like a piece of cake. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. my options, everything started to show the, yeah. the playing field started to show. Right. So when I got to Kent state, I was studied various things and I changed one of my majors was economics. And I mm-hmm. also studied political science. You know, I started down this journey of just wanting things to make sense. Like everybody is supposed to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You work hard. All the options should be available to everyone. Right. Yeah. And then I took economics of poverty (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it was like, oh, like all of the world's problems were answered. Yeah. And it kind of set me down this path of like, no, this isn't right. And I wanted to do anything to make opportunities that weren't available to people based on factors that were out of the control mm-hmm. available to them. Yeah. Um, and so that set me down this path of thinking of policy work and doing all kinds of internships and studying economics and thinking of wanting to be a professor and, you know, wanting to do all these things, but not sure what really I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to law school based on the recommendation of one of my economics professors. He's like, you have this social justice thing going on and you're really drawn to policy. You're really drawn to like legal precedent in terms of like, you know, Brown v. Board and things like that. These big sweeping changes. Mm-hmm. How would you go to law school? So that took me from Kent State studying economics and political science. And I got my master's of public administration there as well, um, okay. jointly. Graduated in 2008 with both of them. And then went into law school thinking I was going to go into policy advocacy or appellate advocacy, one of the two. Mm-hmm. despised legal practice. <laughs> oh my God, this is not what I, I didn't even know, right? Like no one suggested yeah. to me like, 
you should probably shadow an attorney. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, you think law school is like medical school or, yeah. it, you know, it's like this lofty goal. And it was fantastic in terms of an educational environment for me to further explore the, the underpinnings of society and how things have come to be. Mm-hmm. But I just could not see myself writing briefs and yeah. doing all that stuff. And my clerkship to L Summer was at the Children's Law Center in D.C. And throughout the summer, I became less and less interested in the legal assignments that I was working on mm-hmm. and more and more interested in how the organization was run. I was like, okay, wow, like they are really a machine. Like, you know, <laughs> it was just really, really inspiring to be around attorneys who were in various administrative positions as well yeah. as a whole team of direct services people. And that's when I stumbled, truly stumbled on philanthropy. I was like, wait, so <laughs> I can help make these activities, all of these activities possible. And I don't have to choose one. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. Very cool. And that's, how I ended up in this journey. And I thought also, wow, and these people are doing it on their own free will, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> people are coming to the table saying, yeah, I'll, I'll put my resources toward that effort. Okay, yeah. let's do it. That really appealed to me. Yeah. So how did you get that kind of inside look at what was happening when you were with Children's Law Center? Did someone mm-hmm. say, hey, will you write this up for me? Or, you know, did you attend a budget meeting or what? So it was like little breadcrumbs to okay. one ultimate like experience. I mean, we also did actual legal representation training, mm-hmm. but we also got a high level view of the organization. Everyone from the CEO on came in and like spoke to us um, nice. kind of like as an impromptu mentorship. So that was nice to see. And then on top of that, we had these biweekly staff meetings and we would get updates just like anybody else. We were just sitting there listening and they kept talking about their fundraising goal. And so the way they did it was they had three impact pillars, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, health, family, and I think education or something like that. And so each year of their gala, they would rotate. So it would be a three-year rotation of which prong of their mission would be focused on in the gala. And so the honorary chairs and the whole like gala planning committee, you know, volunteers would center on that goal. So the year I was there, they were wanting to launch the medical legal partnership and they needed something like $450,000 to do it. Okay. And we kept getting updates, kept, kept getting updates and they reached like $500,000 before the event even happened. Like they hit their goal. So Mm -hmm. the auctions and all that stuff that would happen at the event were just extra. And, you know, there were these lawyers from firms and physicians who were coming together saying like, yes, we need this medical legal partnership. So, you know, rallying the troops and like the people who were their chairs, for instance, this past year, either 2020 or 2021, I can't remember which one, the honorary co-chairs were like Fauci and his spouse. Like, you know, these are not like small people, you know? Yeah. So just seeing how the draw and attention could help them reach their goal and they exceeded it. And so the first thing she did when they exceeded it was she committed to giving the attorneys their retirement matches, which they hadn't been able to do in like a few years. And that really spoke to me in that like, wow, you're mission focused and driven and it's attracting a lot of people with a lot of money to support it. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as you can, you remember who makes it happen, right? Like you didn't say, okay, we're going to renovate the entryway or, you know, or, oh, we're going to put someone's name on something. You took care of your people. Now, granted, that also opened my eyes to these people are living in DC. They went to the top schools all over the country 
And they were not making nearly what is necessary to have a living wage in DC. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting matches regularly. I was like, whoa, you know, like we have so many people doing such important work yeah. representing the most vulnerable and barely you know, making it themselves. Barely making it themselves. Yeah. It just blew my mind. So these were all the breadcrumbs. And then I was literally typing um, a brief about burdens of proof in child welfare proceedings and how it basically reinforces implicit biases against families in poverty and, you know, people of color. Mm-hmm. But I was like, literally thinking, no one is going to read this. <laughs> it is going to get turned into my managers and no one's going to see this. Yeah. And uh, the, the interns were in two offices and the development intern happened to be in my office. Like she was two seats down from me mm-hmm. and she was working on this gala. And I looked over, I mean, she was literally doing like a menial task. Like she was stuffing envelopes. Like <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And then she started telling me about like how she was doing little salons and preparation for the event and just all the people she was meeting. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you're yeah. oh, oh, I you're like, like that, that work is relevant. Yeah. That? I want to do that. And mm-hmm. I literally came back. I went to Washington University in St. Louis and we had a really well-resourced, really well-staffed team of career advisors. Mm-hmm. One of whom, cause this was, I mean, I was in school from 08 to 2011. So there was no legal market. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A lot of people were still committed to it, but because I had already changed my mind and I actually went in open-minded, I was not emotionally devastated when that happened, you know? Um, However, there were a lot of people that were, but they luckily were able to put someone in the office that focused on supporting people who with alternative career tracks or JD preferred interests. And that advisor happened to know somebody in St. Louis who was looking for a part-time development assistant. I applied and got it. So from January, 2011, while I was still in law school, I started working in development literally in like the lowest role possible. Yeah. (laughs) Climbed up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm so grateful that you were able to find a career person who was thinking about those JD preferred jobs and kind of looking outside of the courtroom because mm-hmm. that can be really hard to find. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. so when I think about fundraising and asking people for money and oh, <laughs> oh my goodness, I get the heebie-jeebies. You actually <laughs> enjoy this. Yeah. Is it the philanthropy part? Is it the knowing that the money is going for a great cause? Or now you're just like, money is fluid. You got it. I need it. Let's, let's ask for it. A little of all of it. But the biggest thing is for me, two Mm -hmm. streams. As much as we want to have these aspirational, like, oh, yes, vote. I am a hundred percent. I'm going to vote every time. I'm a hundred percent going to, you know, write letters to my Congress people and I'm going to do all the stuff. Change comes from money, period. You cannot convince me of anything else. Somebody said like, you know, never doubt that, you know, small group of citizens are committed. People Mm -hmm. can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. This is true. It's also small groups of people with money. Okay. Okay. I don't know what else to say. Um, Or large groups of people with a little bit of money. Like you got to come to the tip because that's just the way the world works. And I get it. I'm aspirational too. I want everything to change the way it's supposed to be in an egalitarian way with nobody left behind. That's what I want. We Mm -hmm. live in a capitalistic society. You need the money, period. 
Okay. So that is really important to me, directing resources. If we're going to do this thing, we're going to do this capitalism thing. I at least want a portion to go toward things that matter to me. You know, what matters to me is the stuff that people talk about day to day. What makes people's lives hard? I want to make it easy. I want people to have adequate leave, you know, to Mm -hmm. be able to care for their families. I want people to have health care. I'm in higher education. I want people to have opportunity to pursue whatever path they want and money to not be a burden. Mm -hmm. Debt not to be a problem. You know, the only thing that made my first gen experience in college easier was because money was not an issue for me. I had scholarships. I got a scholarship for law school too. I still have debt for that. But (laughs) but for undergrad, I had no worries. And I had options because of it. Because people didn't have that. And so, you know, that matters to me. On the other hand, Black folks and people of color are not at these tables Mm -hmm. in abundance. And I am as, you know, red, black, and green as they come. Like, I want my people to have a voice in what matters. And we've always been a philanthropic people. We don't necessarily give in ways that transform institutions outside of the church. Okay. So church and family, we got that on lock. Like, we always do that. But I like advocating for at least some modicum of contribution to causes that will also spawn systemic change outside of our traditional realms of giving. Um, And don't get it twisted. To be on some of these, the biggest boards and to have a voice on these boards, you have to have money to give. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and people don't see it that way. And I'm not saying it's right. But it's true and it's what's happening. You know? And so I will do all I can to get people who look like me to get adjacent to you know, anybody yeah. that, that kind of melanin in a position where they will be heard and they can speak from their perspective, their lived experience and guide resources and opportunities toward more. Because I'm convinced that what you do for the least of these will benefit all. Mm-hmm. And that's just really important to me. So that's part of it for me is educating people Honestly, you know, we are in a capitalistic society. So there are a whole lot of white folks who don't think that they can make a difference, right? Mm, yeah. But we can, and there are mechanisms for doing it. And there are some people who are really good at figuring out and knowing what those mechanisms are. And it's our turn to utilize those same tools. So, yeah. And I love how you said it either takes a few people with a lot of money or a lot of people with a little bit of money, right? Because mm-hmm. if you collectively bring it all together, you can make that big decision, that big change. Yes. So. yes. Mm-hmm. Did you see that from your economics background or did you learn a little bit of that when you were in law school as well? I mean, that's a theme in econ, right? Like we're always yeah. talking about money. <laughs> um, macro, micro, yeah. Yeah, macro, micro. So especially macro, like looking at national wealth, you know, in comparisons. Mm-hmm. But I would say I got a little bit more of the nitty gritty of how it works and how levers are pulled with it through law school. So when I graduated, again, there was no legal market and I was Mm -hmm. working part time at that same job that I had gotten in January 2011. And I had a child. I had my son like literally 23 hours after I graduated. So, (laughs) wow. um, Yeah. So luckily, again, I was at a really well-resourced law school and they had flexibility to be able to offer us different like paths that would kind of cushion us Mm -hmm. until we landed somewhere. 
And so I was able to take classes as like an LLM student in taxation. And prior to that, I might as well have gotten a degree in social work. Like all of my courses <laughs> were race and public education, sexuality in the law, domestic violence in the law. Like yeah. the one that I really liked was work, family and public policy. That was an mm-hmm. econ course. And so I took all these interesting courses, but then when I got to know that I wanted to do philanthropy, I was like, okay, I need to learn something related to business or whatever. So I took a handful of courses relating to like estate and gift taxation, things like that. And that's where I got exposure to, oh, okay. So it's not just like people give money and, you know, all is well, like there's amounts that they're going to need to give. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to get a good tax write off. Yeah. yeah. Um, that type of thing. So I kind of dipped into that from there. Okay. When I left undergrad, I actually looked into forensic accounting for a little while mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, but what about the money? So that was right when I was starting to realize that like my budget was important. Saving mm-hmm. was important. How saving could not only get you to wealth, to become wealthy. <laughs> right. Um, so I think it's interesting that you have the mixture of the two, you know, the numbers yeah. and law. So, mm-hmm. okay. So what you're doing now, your title is the director of development at the Ohio State University, and you are specifically with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Yes. How did you find this role and how does it tie into your philanthropic background and training? Well, so I was in direct services fundraising in various organizations prior to coming to Ohio State. Okay. But when I got to Ohio State, I did something totally different. I was an international and graduate affairs fellow at Morris College of Law. Okay. Um, and so I did that. I was the first person to hold that position. So my two years, because it kind of was slightly different each term who held it, mm-hmm. mine focused on building career services opportunities. So I was still doing outreach and engagement, particularly alumni engagement. So that helped me pivot into university fundraising, um, higher education fundraising, because I had that background. So I went into FAES, Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences for, I was there for like five and a half years. Mm. Again, me just innately being someone who, I mean, if I see something unequal, it just jumps out at me and I'm looking around like, does anybody else see this? (laughs) (laughs) That's your superpower that you can see it. (laughs) Yeah, it's like no one is bothered by this. <laughs> um, it's like, why are you overlooking that? Don't you see this? Don't you yeah. see this? So, and noting also where it's not intentional, but mm-hmm. it's still a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that was always just part of what I did. And so generally I got personally invested in scholarship fundraising Okay. because to me, that's like the biggest way you can make an immediate impact in the lives of students who need it, Right. So that was the basis in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. There was only ever like one fundraiser. So I had a pretty good portfolio and I was doing well in um, FAES, but this position opened up mm. and it was like, oh, this is perfect. But by then <laughs> I had already made a, um, I guess say a name for myself, whatever. People knew what I was interested in. I'm going to yeah. be the one that calls out, you know, certain things or that like suggests maybe we should, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month, you know, do a presentation about hidden figures in, you know, food, agriculture, and environmental sciences, or maybe, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, oh, and I had done programming for two years. And then um, I was the vice president, basically, and then the president for the Association of Staff and Faculty Women at Ohio State Okay. for several years. And so people knew that that's what I did. 
Yeah. And it was just kind of my thing. And so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't treat it as though it was in the bag. I went full force into the, <laughs> you know, yeah. the thing, but it worked out. Staying university advancement, which is like my heart's work of making sure that I'm bridging, you know, between internal and external, but I get to focus on the mission of inclusive excellence and really looking broadly at who needs this most, you mm-hmm. know, and who's falling behind or who's fallen into the cracks. So even groups like regional campus transitioners, right? Yeah. Um, or community college transfers or parenting students. Anything that's non-traditional. Anyone that's non-traditional, you know, I want to be there okay. and help it. Yeah. So I was reading about the tasks that you do every day and you were talking about it can be anything from drafting gift agreements to discussing charitable gift planning. And to me, you know, outside looking in, it all sounds really exciting. Is Mm -hmm. it still exciting or is a lot of it kind of routine? I would say it's exciting. Now there are moments, right, where it gets, you know, like when you feel like you've met everyone in your portfolio many, many times, (laughs) but that's when you can be creative and then think, okay, but now I'm like, when I was in FAS, that was more the case the ag college because it's a college, right? So your alumni base, you're going to see the same people more frequently, you know, but now being the only major gifts officer for a university-wide office, I'm best suited for partnerships Okay, um, because we don't have an alumni base outside of like, you know, just like Buckeye spirit, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one graduates from the office of diversity and inclusion. So (laughs) You know, between corporations, individuals, foundations, we're always best suited to like turn over opportunities for greatest efficiency and effectiveness and and collaboration. Mm -hmm. So being at a school that has 67,000 students, 16 degree granting, you know, units within it, all of the stuff, a a medical center, we have so much opportunity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Jarrett, just as we're wrapping up here, is there anything that you would like to say to the audience about how they can use their degree or how they should not underestimate their degree, anything like that when it comes to finding the career that you would love? Mm. I just had a conversation with a alum yesterday who was telling me his career journey. He's a lawyer mm-hmm. and he now works in, let's just say financial services. Okay. And, but he started out, you know, the basic things, clerking at a firm. And then he went into, for some personal passion-driven reasons, he went into humanitarian work Mm. for several years. And then he decided, okay, I've done that and burned out. And he then started, you know, he maintained his network in various spaces. And then he got in-house and he climbed, right, Mm -hmm. in-house. And so I think his story and my own really demonstrate that, like, you can literally do whatever you're interested in. Mm -hmm. It may not happen when you want to do it. And it may even come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Like I had been wanting to do something in officially, right? In DEI for years. So that would be my biggest takeaway is that cancel out all the noise and just really keep your eyes open. But in that, you have to produce. Like you have to be so like- So good they can't to, ignore you. Yeah, you can't, yeah. So yeah. don't, you know, don't come at me- you know, being all lack of confidence and all that <laughs> stuff. And then you want to talk about, you want to climb, you want, uh-uh. no, no, you need to know who you are, know what your skills are, which shouldn't be based solely on what your degree is. Yeah. Right. And, and go full force in everything that you do. Cause then you will have as many opportunities as you want, you know? Yeah. 
So that's my biggest thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I can piggyback off of that, also, you guys keep your eyes open for those breadcrumbs, Mm -hmm. right? If you weren't in that meeting and was like, okay, I'm doing this brief because I'm supposed to, but that looks exciting. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to say, well, what is that? Right. You're allowed Mm -hmm. to look over there and say, well, what, what if, even if you're just daydreaming, right? Because you never know. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jira. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you. It's cathartic to reflect and, and see, because, you know, we all benefit from hearing other people's journeys. So to yes. the extent that mine can like spark anything, I'm happy to share. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a good all day. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.